Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Pop Culture, the podcast that brings soft drinks to the top of the menu. I'm Helen O'Hara, film journalist, author, and lifelong teetotaler. And I'm Kat Brown, journalist and newly published author, Helen. Woo! <laughs> You'd like to thank me, <laughs> other people. Oh, and I'd like to thank you, Helen, because you came in pink and orange to match my special suit. I mean, you told us what colours you were going to be in, Kat, so it was always going to happen. But yes, just to catch people up, Kat's book, It's Not a Bloody Trend, was published yesterday as we record this uh, on February 1st, and we had a fantastic book launch party last night. I drank gingerella all night, which is always a good time. And it was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And you had a fantastic suit, which was not just pink and, and orange, was it? It was also a it, metaphor. It was a metaphor. It was beautiful, made of silk. Uh, one of my neighbours, not literally physically, but in the same place that I live, is the designer Shoney Wilkinson, who does loads of stuff for stage, for screen, and uh, she also does does fashion, sort of downs it a bit. But she asked if I'd be interested in collaborating on a project, by which I mean I wore the suit. That's the extent of my collaboration. <laughs> but inspired by ADHD, so obviously that's the subject of the book, and she was really interested in how she could perhaps use details or frayed hems or different things to sort of bring that to life in a project that she's called ADH Design, which is Amazing. lovely. Yeah, wore it last night and just felt a million dollars. Everybody that came up to sort of have a look at it and everything just adored it too. Mm. So it was just really, really wonderful. So looked a million dollars also. Just to be part clear. of art, darling. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love that for me. Yeah, it was it was great though. And what were you drinking? You had a fabulous mug and you were drinking yes. out of it. My lovely friend Helen Whitaker, who is the author of several really excellent novels, gave me this gorgeous mug that she'd got from Etsy, which said published author and it had the date of the book's release on it. Oh. And it was just so lovely. So I drank out of that all night. I was drinking Beavertown Laser Crush alcohol-free IPA, which is a really nice, light, but oomphy beer that was just perfect for last night. And like you with Gingerella, I could just sip away on that. Mm. And that was fab. The thing that we also had that was not drinks related or suit related but was bloody amazing it was you and a bunch of our friends clubbed together and got amy richards who's amy's bakes on instagram uh, you can see some pictures of that on ours as well to make a cake of the book which was the most amazing thing that i've ever seen and eaten <laughs> i was very lucky that there was a little bit of it left over with the result that i had some for breakfast this morning and Quite did right. an interview with the times with a very pink tongue that is as it should be. Blue tongue, blue tongue, as it should not be. Exactly. I'm very tired. This is all very silly. No, it was a lovely party and lovely to launch it and very grateful to Backstory and Balam, partly for just having a really nice soft drink selection. Mm, they really, really did. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful place. And lots of cheese also. You know, you don't have to have wine and cheese. You can have soft drinks and cheese. There's no law. They can't stop you. For the last two or three weeks, I keep waking up at one o'clock in the morning for two or three hours. And for some reason, earlier this week, I was fixated on what on earth snacks you could serve in a bookshop without like ruining all the books. 
And then like the night before, I just ended up absolutely fixating on cheese. So I sort of went to the shops and came back armed with cheese straws, crisps, and then what I can only describe as a small mountain cave of very (laughs) mature cheddar, which I chopped up into chunks. But thank God everybody bought into it and they ate the surprisingly large amount of cheese. Mm. Yes, that was me, mostly. Yes. Uh, yes. Thank also, God for your service, Helen. <laughs> you know, I'm just here to help. Also, you had uh, something, I, n- I know this is kind of peripheral to, to soft drinks, but also I feel like it's relevant. And that is you had very good crisps. They weren't just any crisps. They were very, very nice crisps. And one of the things that was nice about them, and if you're listening to this and you work in food development, please, please pay attention right now. One of the things that was great was they were the kind of crisps where lots of them are folded over. Mm. And it has long been my contention that folded over crisps taste better than two crisps piled on top of each other. I don't know why, but they do. The best crisps are folded over crisps. And I don't know why no one makes them that way. But the ones you had last night were heavy on the folded crisps. And I was just in hog heaven. I actually went to a different shop specifically to buy the crisps. That is because it is my opinion, my humble opinion, that the co-op does the greatest crisps. I was very restrained. I did not buy the salt and vinegar, which again are the best salt and vinegar crisps in creation, partly because they are also the most violent crisps in creation. (laughs) But um, my husband tells me that not everybody loves having their mouth like brutally assaulted assaulted Mm. by salt and vinegar Mm. so i just went for ready salted i mean as ready salted goes it was delicious so so yes we had a lovely time and your book is off to a fantastic start it has already been reprinted the demand is high you were on proper amazon charts like in the hundreds not the thousands that's a big deal so you know Big, big times. I felt very excited when I was looking at the chart at three o'clock this morning, whilst despite the (laughs) fact this this book has now launched, I apparently still cannot sleep. (laughs) So really looking forward to seeing what insane obsession I get during my two hours of wakefulness tonight. Mm. That used to be a really common thing, apparently, in the sort of 16th, 17th century. Apparently everyone just woke up in the middle of the night and they just leaned into it and just sat up and chatted. That honestly, that is something that I've really had to do. I had... I slept really badly when I was younger anyway, probably for anxiety, and I just didn't get to sleep for hours and all the way through university. And one of my friends told me something a few years ago, which I've now now just means that when I do have that wakefulness or I can't get back to sleep, I just don't stress about it so Mm. much, which is half of the horror of insomnia. And that is just whether you're asleep or not, just resting is still good for you. Admittedly, I might be looking at the news on my phone whilst I'm doing it. Not super restful. It's not super restful. But honestly, by that point, I've done my just close your eyes and try to get back to sleep. And then I'm like, I'm just bored. I'm mm. just going to read until I get tired again. But yeah, just lying there and just knowing that recharging and resting is still happening is good. Mm. Still not as good as a really good night's sleep. But I hold great hopes that eventually I will become too tired not to sleep through mm. the night. Has that changed since giving up drink? Yeah, massively. Right. This sounds ridiculous to say. I'm now no longer scared of bedtime. Right. When I was drinking, and to be honest, before I was drinking, I found, I think also just before I was treated, before I had a lot of therapy and understood what on earth was going on with my brain, I found the dark hours really upsetting, like really panic inducing. Everything, I suppose it's that cliche, everything seems worse at night. And again, don't make any big decisions at night you know don't listen to what your brain is necessarily telling you at light I think the only time that I sort of managed to come some kind of understanding with nighttime hours was at university in my final year when I was just like oh 4am still not asleep better write an essay so at least that was a fairly mm. efficient way of getting things done and, and at least in university if it is 4am somebody's probably up anyway I mean it's not quite as as alienating and as as lonely as I think it no, can totally. be in but, childhood I mean, or adulthood Even during this weird period of book stress insomnia, the feeling is completely different to when I would wake up in the middle of the night because all of the sugar from the booze had just suddenly gone, hello, we're here. I'm not waking up and my head is turning circles or anything like that. There are just periods when people have crap sleep, but it would just be, I can't even imagine how horrendous it would have been if I had... I can't even really imagine what the party would have been like if I'd been drinking. I probably would have insisted that we all went out to several bars afterwards. <laughs> and given that this was in suburban South London. Whereas the messages in our friend group afterwards were like, it was only a 15 minute walk home. This was fabulous. <laughs> Which maybe says a lot about how old and boring we are. But I like to think it just means we're managing our time well. I feel it's a very good life work balance <laughs> when you go to a party and then you're in your pyjamas 15 mm. minutes after leaving the party. 
That was by 9.20pm, everybody. You really can have it all. (laughs) Well, it was not the only party I went to this week, actually. Tell me more. Not to show off, but Mm. I went to my six-year-old nephew's birthday party at a soft play. The the party of the season! It really was, um, for all of his friends, certainly. It was an interesting experience for me, just because I haven't really done that soft play party before. When I was younger... We did have birthdays in leisure centres, but certainly in Northern Ireland at that time, we didn't have the big soft plays Agreed. that they do now. These gigantic three-storey tall wonderlands so of things to climb up over and fall down and all the rest. Was it like Funhouse had come to life, but better? Pretty much. And, and the volume was such that my extremely talkative three and a half year old niece at one point had to take a time out and go to a different room because she said it was just too noisy because everyone was having such a blast. And of course, that's only the parents. I mean, the kids were quite, as, quite, quite as mice. It was a, an insight into that tiny world of younger people. There were a lot of fruit shoots in evidence. There were a lot of refillable water bottles with cartoon characters on. Did you have any air ups there? Air ups are very big with my under eight year old no, nephews. What are- Arabs. These are, again, I feel like somebody coming from the prehistoric era discussing like new advancements in water. But seeing as children now seem completely unable to go anywhere without a water bottle, mm. which again, I just feel like we were just all allowed to become dehydrated. We, honestly, we youth. must have been wrinkled. <laughs> no, I, I don't know how we survived. So Arabs are cartridges that you add in to a particular water bottle and they give the impression of flavouring the water oh. without actually flavouring the water. Oh. So it's one of those things that tricks your nose. You know, there were all those cold brew teas that sort of came out. I think there was a Twinings line and they, they sort of they were advertised as cold brew and they would give your water some nice, you know, fruity flavour without putting in loads of sugar and fruit juice and everything else. And I'll be honest, I considered them. Until the day that I looked at the ingredients on the back of the pack and saw they contained beetroot. And I realised, well, the impression that the tea is brewing is obviously just coming from dried bits of beetroot releasing their juice Mm. into the water. So I kind of gave up. So I wonder if it's a bit similar. Like it's there are things in whatever it is that give you the impression that something is happening to your water without actually imparting taste to that water. Exactly that. The only thing that I know is that they are wildly trendy. I've got three nieces and nephews that live in London, cooler than I could ever have dreamt of being. That's it with Mm. the youth of South London at the moment. I was really pleased, though, I will say. Now, the the leisure centre was fantastic in terms of, you know, they had food for everybody. They had ice cream afterwards. It was Mm. one I wanted some, but apparently I was too old, which seems like age discrimination, actually. But they did still bring out jugs of squash. And that made me feel like maybe there's something good and true and never dying in the world is that we still get jugs of squash frantically being refilled um, at birthday parties. So that was lovely. That is really reassuring and uh, something for me to bear in mind for my next book launch. Absolutely. Just bring on the squash. Jugs of squash everywhere. But what are we drinking today, Kat? So, Helen, seeing as you blew my mind last week by talking about the fact that you'd just gone from zero to martini vibrante, which incidentally I noticed your Italian fiancé has uh, very kindly drunk the rest of. He was drinking it neat. I mean, he was just knocking it back like it was squash. And I was sort of, you know, being quite restrained and having some soda water or something with it. But yeah, he just knocks it back. I don't Absolutely know. crackers. Oh, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's empty the bottle, but it's marvellous. So anyway, I thought enough pussyfooting around the issue. We should move on to getting you to try some of the alcohol-free wine or beers and that sort of thing. And then the PRs for Wednesday's domain, which had popped up on my Instagram, which we mentioned last week, said, oh, can we send you a couple of bottles? And I was like, yes, that would be marvellous. So today, Helen, we're going to try alcohol-free wine. Um, do you want to go white first or Ooh. red? Should, should I ease myself in with white? Is that the less scary option? I mean, neither of them are scary. Well, I think the scariest, so. they, won't, they won't bite you, Helen. <laughs> well, actually, no, that's not true. Because, in fact, the only obstacle so far has been that the bottle is beautifully wrapped in a sort of wax seal, which actually was a bit difficult to get off. But also, it has the hardest corks that I've encountered in my life. Those were different. I have not encountered many corks. Uh, I do usually own a corkscrew. We should say my, my house has been upside down because we've been getting some work done and the corkscrew, unfortunately, was stowed somewhere and we have no idea where. So I just ran out, got a corkscrew and now we have Wednesday's domain open. So we're here I am 
trying wine. So this is not 0.5%, is that right? Yes. They do two versions. This is the piquant version, which is sort of white wine. So this is a de-alcoholized... God, that's such a difficult word to say. One day I will master that. If only I were doing a podcast where I could practice de-alcoholized white wine based drink so the wine is Aaron Blanco I haven't heard of that but exciting so we shall try but the idea is it's Wednesday only Wednesday but you want to reach for a glass should you shouldn't you pros cons cue this perfect midweek tipple sup sup away with all of the pleasure none of the regret just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for Thursday I really want to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed that would be good yeah let's have a go all right here we go clink it smells like wine Hmm. Okay. It doesn't taste. Well, okay. So when I have sipped wine, it's been like someone has gone, oh, try this. It's really nice. It doesn't taste of wine at all. Or I've been at a wedding and I've, you know, touched the champagne to my lips to, to show willing. And there's definitely more, there's something more cutting to those wines than there is to this. Like mm-hmm. the first impression is wine and then almost turns into juice in your mouth. Mm. Is that right? Is that I don't know. That's You're a a wine, you've been a wine drinker, it. so Well, that's it. I think I'm in a weirder position because I'm still expecting this to be wine on some level, whereas you're coming to this with the frankly horrendous experience of basically <laughs> having wine shoved in your face. And to be honest, if they were that drunk, I would very much doubt it was lovely wine. This definitely feels this has like a stronger character to it than a mm. lot of dealcoholized or non-alcoholic white wines, and I do tend to sort of steer clear of them. If you were somebody who drank this might be something more like a sort of oaky chardonnay there's quite a lot going on there it's not the sort of it's not a sort of crisp i'm on holiday having a posh lunch somewhere wine but i mean it's it's very convincing it's it's quite drinkable it it sort of feels like there's an outline of wine mm. and then there's schlur in the middle <laughs> but less sweet than schlur I'm, is this I don't not your to... dream though Helen? i mean you would think you know interesting yeah. now we are using glasses that belong to your grandmother keeper of mm. the sherry trifle and actually <laughs> when i smell this i am getting like a little bit of sherry mm. for some reason which is slightly is, is that the oakiness is that because is uh, sherry oak b- barrels possibly but i i don't know My, i'll be honest i went on a tour of the bush and mills distillery because i come from there in northern ireland and they used i think sherry barrels mm. for some vintages and that's why i think they're oak i have no specialist knowledge in yeah. this area Actually, I think if you were really looking for like a proper wine replacement, some of the non-alcoholic white wines can be so thin that they can just be a bit depressing, which is, again, why they often get mixed with loads of ice and people Mm. are like, oh, you can't tell. And it's like, "Mm, kind of bit. I think if you do want to have a proper wine taste... Yeah, I think that would mm. I think that would do it for you. And we should say it's it's we're drinking it cool but not chilled or anything. Mm. So I don't know should it be do you think tasting it should it be colder? I mean it's it's normally if you have a really horrible wine then you want to serve it as cold as possible. Right. <laughs> and there are some reds that are meant to be served cool like some Beaujolais and that sort of thing. Um but I mean this is yeah, that's fine. This would be quite a good Sunday lunch having to drive home afterwards wine, not okay. just a Wednesday one. Mm. So yeah, brilliant. Okay, so that is the Wednesday's domain. Which one? This P- one that's piquant. Piquant. Oh, piquant. Do you want to try the? Um, what did you say, Helen? I was I was starting to say picante, and then I was like, no, that's wrong, isn't it? Do you want to try the red one? Let's try the red. We're on a roll now. <laughs> well, I've actually brought up four glasses just so we can do this. We can be very fancy. I indeed. can hear the enthusiasm. <laughs> so much enthusiasm. She's like, oh, the scary drinkers oh, in the it's glass. Scary, it's scary. Oh, this no, this smells much more intimidating. This smells like a bag of sweets. Hmm. It sort of didn't taste very much of anything as it hit my mouth. And then there's this like hmm. woodiness or something. I really don't know what words I should be using. Like I should have paid much more attention to uh, all those wine tasters growing up. So I, think I could just go just go with your gut, Helen. It's, it's welly <laughs> boots and 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 tires. This tastes so much better than it smells because it smells dreadful they say very clearly on the bottle this is supposed to be like a light-bodied red and again as as i have mentioned endlessly and you can tell i'm just hoping for like a non-alcoholic melback one day that will never happen but never mind it is very difficult to get that oomph that middle bit of red wine but i must stop smelling it good grief but it is woody and there is there is stuff there. Sorry, that sounds so vague, but it's just so many of the alcohol-free wines are just so thin that you swallow them and it's you're mm. like, is there anything there? And it's like, no, it's just ghosts. This isn't as robust as the white, which is odd because whites are very rarely robust unless they are sort of 90s flashbacks. But 
you know, that's that's okay. Okay. I mean, it's weird to me because I'm right. So again, not a wine drinker, and I, I definitely don't think I've ever had red wine except in food. So what it's actually reminding me of is literally grape skins. Mm. You know, sometimes like I've, especially when I was maybe a kid and I was just sort of playing around, I'd be sort of you know peeling grape skins and eating those separately, and that sort of graininess and the kind of dryness of the skin is what I'm getting. It's it's like we were saying the other week about what was it that tastes like it doesn't want to be wet. <laughs> Cranberries. Cranberries <laughs> taste like the, uh, cranberry juice tastes like it doesn't want to be wet. It feels a little bit like that. It feels like that dryness is hitting my mouth, even as I'm literally sipping a liquid. Yeah. Provided that I just never use my nose whilst drinking the red version, this would be a very decent thing to have, like midweek. I probably wouldn't keep it for like special occasions because it is just quite a nice sipping thing. And again, I think because I'm always expecting wine or the Mm. oomph of that, if you don't get exactly that, then that can be disappointing. But as DJ Paulette said the other week, you know, you just have to change your mind a bit about what you're expecting. Mm. You just have to find a drink that you like. And actually... This isn't full-bodied, but it is dry. Maybe this is an answer to last week's red wine question. Oh, right. Oh, God, it still smells so bad. <laughs> I mean, to me, it doesn't smell terrible, but I'm just smelling no, it's a vague it, hint of fruit. It's because it smells so weirdly sweet. Okay. Um, so it, is, it, is it the association of that smell with very sweet, bad wines you've had in the past, do you think? Yeah, and also it's just it just doesn't smell like wine. I mean, usually if you when you take the cork out of, a, out of a bottle of wine. A, it doesn't take as long as it took you and I to remove <laughs> the corks from these. But also you smell the cork and then you can get a, a sense of the wine. And you just obviously don't get that here. But, you know, that's that's great. That's sort of leaving a bit of roughness on the mm, top of my yes, mouth it is. as yes, well, same. which is very whiny, Is this a thing? technical terms. Okay. It is a thing, Ooh, Helen. Okay, yes. I'm learning. Well done. <laughs> there was a non-alcoholic wine story this week that really tickled me, which is Tesco's, who, to be honest, seem to be doing amazing PR for just promoting their own non-alcoholic stuff, had a story in the Times, which is that the, their number one best-selling non-alcoholic wine is uh, Kylie Minogue's No Alcohol Sparkling Rosé. Oh my god! well, we're going to have to try that at some point, aren't mm. we? Sales of that have apparently gone up by 75% on this time last year. Padam, padam. Padam, padam. That sounds nice. I'm uncertain about non-alcoholic rosés, but I will, I will stop being uncertain and just go, yes, <laughs> let's do it. Embrace the non-alcoholic rosé. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we'll just, we'll just have a Kylie week next mm. week. And I think we're also going to try making some drinks. So you were telling me about an episode of Off Menu you listened to with what sounds like an incredible drink. Oh, it was so good. It's... um. It only went up a couple of weeks ago. It's the Jamelia episode when they were on tour last year. And A, she is one of the funniest people I've ever heard not to be a professional comedian. B, she absolutely roasts the arse off each of them, which is just delightful. But also she flags one drink called carrot juice, which again becomes a bit in itself. It's not just carrot juice. But then she changed that for sexy juice, which is pineapple juice, condensed milk, has to be condensed milk, nutmeg and cinnamon. And wow. I'm thinking, yes, yes I, think I would we like should that. probably try that. It sounds wildly unhealthy and I can't wait. I know. I haven't made fudge for so long that I feel like <laughs> drinking half a tin of condensed milk <laughs> would probably make up for that. There's some kind of maths going on there. I'm not sure it's accurate maths, but I love it. Speaking of sugar, in fact, we should probably stop speaking about sugar. We have a sugary based guest today, haven't we? We do. Yes, let's let's jump to him. So our guest today is a guy called Richard Kirk. Now, Richard got in touch with me as soon as we launched Pop Culture and basically offered his expertise. He said, I've worked in development for the soft drinks industry for about 12 years. Um, He's now working for an ingredient supplier. And I wondered if you might be interested in talking about some of what goes on behind the scenes of the industry. I've been involved in the marketing, the development, sensory testing, manufacture quality testing, and now selling ingredients. And he's seen a number of industry shaping events, including new food labeling regulations, the sugar tax, Brexit, and so on. So we agreed with Richard that we're not going to say where he works uh, just because he's not here to speak for his employers, either past or present. It's not a big secret. I mean, if you want to look it up, you can totally look it up. I'm not going to, you know, say don't. But it's just not something we're getting into because he's talking from a much more general point of view Mm. as a very experienced, and this is a real phrase, 
beverage technologist. What? I know. What a job title. And he is also, by the way, a musician and composer. So he is a multi-talented guy. But here is what Richard had to say about sugar, especially. So, Richard, just to give people a bit of context about you, you are a, I believe, senior beverage technologist. You've worked in the beverage industry for for quite a few years now. And you've worked on, on soft drinks, carbonated drinks, exotic juices i saw were mentioned on your on your linkedin which was wonderful um color flavor the whole thing so you you kind of have a a bit of a broad overview of the industry is that is that fair to say yeah i hope so Uh, so uh, as a as a product developer uh, and now as technical services for a an ingredient supplier i have been involved in development of drinks from kind of soup to nuts so uh, a a brief will come from somewhere usually marketing department saying we want this uh, and then I've been involved in pulling together all all of the ingredients to get a recipe that's then goes to consumer testing and then to uh, trial manufacture and then eventually manufacture along the shelves and then the always slightly confusing emotional experience of seeing litter you're responsible for uh, on the uh, on the streets of wherever you live because the development team will that will engage with everyone from marketing sales quality production I've, I've sort of experienced a lot of the of the industry from various angles. That's my pitch to my, my credentials for being That's on amazing. Here. How, how much litter have you seen? I'm, I'm not concerned about this. I mean, obviously, litter that you, you, you saw coming off the factory line, you, you feel more emotionally <laughs> attached to. But it is, in fact, a way of, of finding out how successful your product has been is the litter survey. So when, when, when you're seeing it, you go, oh, yeah, that, that's people are buying it, which is why it's a sort of it's a confusing emotional response because you feel oh, I've, I've made some litter. But in between, someone has chosen a thing that I, I've worked on exchange money to enjoy it and then throw it away yes it's pr- pride shame all mixed up together very confusing yeah. so so yeah. so tell me about some of the sort of the, the the questions i guess that go into this what are the challenges of launching a new drink or i guess you know tweaking a formula if that happens as well we've all heard stories about new coke at least you know what what are the what are the sort of factors that people have to have to worry about when they're launching a new soft drink uh, for, for new products who it's for and what's the what's the sell? Is this about tasting great? Is this about some health benefit? Uh, and, and what are the ingredients that are going to support that? Ultimately, then, what claims can you legally make on the pack? Which is is often something that can come up a bit late in the process. When uh, the design process is working really, really well, that's sort of baked in from the very beginning, and that gives the developer the very best chance of of, of meeting uh, the kind of the, the requirements. Uh, when you're dealing with existing products, it, it's how much can we change or how much money can we save or what can we do and nobody notice. <laughs> a lot of my work has been making sure nobody notices, which is, is sort of less glamorous, but, uh, but, but very necessary and, and happens all the time. And that could be as simple as, as switching out suppliers of, of ingredients to, uh, as, as I'm sure we'll talk about, sugar reduction, which is kind of a big thing um, that the industry went through and is sort of still, still going through, but, but obviously around the, the introduction of the sugar tax that was a kind of major shift in the, in the whole industry. So remind us when that was, because I, I, I obviously remember flawlessly exactly when that was, but, but some sure. people may but, not. But for any listener who is, yeah, who is not completely <laughs> obsessed, in 2018, the, uh, the UK introduced a sugar tax, which meant that any products with more than five grams of sugar per 100 mils would be, uh, would, would be subject to tax. And the, there was then a sort of mid mid-band somewhere around eight bricks uh sorry i've used the word bricks but eight grams per hundred mils of, of sugar uh so above that was uh was fully taxed below the eight was there was a sort of medium threshold that most people seem to have decided was was a fool's errand if you're going to reduce you might as well reduce all the way and then what's become a bit of a standard for, for a bunch of people is somewhere around five grams so you talked there about the sugar tax and levels of sugar bricks, which is an amazing, mm-hmm. amazing uh, shorthand for them, which I'll be using now. But are, are we talking about different types of sugar here? Are, you know, is that all sugars? Is that specific kinds of sugar? Is that traditional sort of white sugar? So, what does that mean? So it, it's monosaccharides it is, is the law, which means uh, for most, most purposes, it means uh, sucrose, so sugar beet or um, or sugar cane, but also right. fructose, uh, which is a, a without wishing to get too kind of molecular. Uh, it's it's the sugar that you find in right. uh, grapes, which is a so it's it's a bit sweeter, um, 
which can allow you to do small amounts of sugar reduction while, while maintaining the, the sweetness. Um, so bricks, by the way, um, is a term that is enormously misused across the industry to mean uh, three, I think it's three different things. Um, strictly speaking, it is a measure of the amount of dissolved solids in okay, a liquid. Okay. Uh, and it, it could be, you can directly measure it with a machine. Um, and so because most of the dissolved solids until say 2018, when the sugar tax came in, for most products, the, the vast majority of dissolved solids were sugar, it can be used as a bit of a, um, a shorthand for the amount okay. of sugar. But the third right. way it's used is though, uh, as a shorthand for the amount of sweetness, so the amount of sugar that you're right. replicating. So you can talk about aiming for 10 bricks of sweetness. That really means emulating 10 grams of sucrose oh, per yeah. 100 mils. Fascinating. Bricks. So I, I apologise if I, I, I will accidentally use the, or each of them interchangeably, meaning a specific thing and then hoping everybody no, that makes sense. OK, so, you know, we have an idea, I think, I think in our heads that sugar or at least too much sugar is bad for you. I can tell you from reading way too many diet books in my life that a lot of them will in particular pick up sugar in drinks as quote unquote empty calories. Mm -hmm. And they, they really sort of rail against sugar in drinks in particular, something that people could do with cutting down on. So there must be a lot of pressure, I'm guessing, in the industry, even aside from the sugar tax, to give people options that, that you know, have less sugar in them. I'm guessing this has been going on for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that dates back probably to the use of saccharin yeah. in beverages in the 50s, um, a long way back. Um, I think one of the big things about sugar in drinks is it's very easy to consume enormous amounts of sugar. Very, you know, a, a can of Coke's worth of sugar, if you were to spoon it out onto a, into a bowl and try and eat that amount of sugar, you get very tired of it very quickly. But it's very easy to, to, to chug it down. Um, uh, because it really, it really does. I mean, uh, you're talking to someone who it, has it been does. known to drink an entire bottle of schlur at a dinner you know and and that's not light and well there are now ones that are light and sugar but there weren't at the time i was doing it so um so what are the alternatives then what are what are the things that we're talking about when we talk about sort of sugar replacements or sugar substitutes or i don't even know what the preferred term is so it, typically you talk about high intensity sweeteners um or artificial sweeteners um or other things, but uh, much, much of what you see now is uh, a combination of aspartame and acylfen K. So if you pick up a, a most diet drinks, they will contain that, that combination. Um, in, I'm trying to think, maybe five or, so, five or so years ago, sucralose became much more popular, uh, partly because it sounds a bit like sucrose. <laughs> and so consumers like it because it sounds, acylfame K or um, acylfame potassium, or aspartame always sounds horrible and chemically, whereas sucralose sounds a bit cuddlier. Um, so, and, and it was very cheap per unit of sweetness, so it was, it was very, very popular. Uh, it also tasted awful when first used. Um, uh, and we as an industry have got a lot better at developing with it, and now a sucralose tasting product tastes pretty good. Aspartame, acylfem K tastes more right. like sugar uh, uh, when, again, when used right, and there are technologies that could be used to improve it on top of that. But those, those are the kind of the, the sort of mainstream ones. Uh, less mainstream, growing in popularity, is stevia, which is uh, an extract from a uh, tea-like leaf, um, originally from Paraguay. Um, that takes a bit of working with, because as, a, as a leaf, it tastes very sweet, but also has a really bitter, lingering aftertaste. And lot, the kind of the cheapest versions of stevia-containing products suffer from that. Uh, there are there are quite restrictive limits within the EU and by extension the UK about how much you can use as well. So you can struggle to get the same level of sweetness that we're used to with our, um, with with artificial sweeteners. But it does come with a, a, a sort of much friendlier claim, like sweetened from a leaf, or uh, which you'll see on some Marks and Spencer's products, or sweetened from a natural source, that kind of claim. So that helps people feel better about uh, consuming it while it's still being sweet, and at least in theory, delicious. <laughs> at least in theory. Um, and that is one of the things we are talking about, obviously, on this, on this podcast. So, so basically, mm -hmm. all of them have sort of strengths and limitations then. There, there's a, there's, it, it feels like you, you yeah. know, a lot of the time we're talking about a combination of sweeteners to get the same effect as sugar per se. Um, and, to, and there's obviously 
trade-offs in terms of taste, in terms of cost, in terms of complicated recipes, I guess, uh, to figure figure out what you're doing for each one, each drink. Yeah, so sugar has has a bunch of things, um, a, a kind of a sweetness curve, so an experience of drinking a sugar-containing drink, which doesn't have trouble is everything is sort of defined in terms of the, the sweetness curve of sugar so it doesn't have a really intense upfront sweetness and it doesn't have an unpleasant linger it, it's you know our bodies have evolved to to seek out and enjoy sugar because it's calories that body it, that's, that's what we wanted uh, so when it wasn't so readily available so yeah so so we kind of somewhere between we've evolved and we've got used to that as as a as the ideal or gold standard sugar curve uh, and yeah no no sweetener has quite the same some it's much more upfront some have a kind of uh, a real sweet linger some it's it's a sort of bitter aftertaste and so on and, and different people perceive it differently but that's kind of generally the case and so combining them can, can allow you to cover over the weaknesses of one with the other and then uh, there are some flavors that can help improve that as well there's a few different approaches kind of out there some of which use uh, sweet molecules to uh, at very low levels in kind of the same way that you'd use low levels of salt in baking to bring out different bits of, of a flavor. They do that. Others using uh, volatile extracts from sweet things so that they smell sweeter than they are. Uh, so uh, things like molasses or, or um, other kind of sugary products, you can extract the volatile compounds from that and add that back in. So there's a range of approaches to, to helping continue to trick the body into feeling like it's getting the sugar. Wow. So just from something you're saying there, you're, you're talking about really different levels of sweeteners depending on the drink, obviously, that you're, you're working with. So if you're working with, I don't know, a strong flavor like ginger, maybe that allows you to do or, or demands that you use different sweeteners than if you're doing... I have no idea what's a weak flavor blueberry, uh, you know, so, it, you know, is it, is it a matter of always adjusting to whatever the, the main flavor of the drink is going to be? Yes. Um, I th and some of that is just to do with what, you know, works across the range that you're working on. Um, some of it is to do with, with cost. Uh, that can be a big driver. Um, uh, Aspartame, one of its breakdown products, uh, there, there is a, a people who suffer from a disease called PK can't have and so ideally as a manufacturer you don't want your, your only non um uh, non-full sugar drinks to contain um aspartame you want you want other, other things out there um so so it, it, there's a sort of there's a, there's a load of reasons and some of them are about marketing some of them are about function some of them are about the kind of developer's preference um, as to how they work uh, and also does it have any source of sugar in there? So there are, um, I'm going to use that word bricks again, mid bricks products where there is some sugar and then the rest is made up with sweetener. Um, but the, the sugar tax has really made uh, a, a thing, but was, was always a, a little bit of a driver because you could, you could save money because sugar is very expensive uh, and fluctuates in price in a way that can, you know, can be a problem. Excuse so would that be, sorry, is that uh, where you get sort of no added artificial sweeteners or no added sweetener kind of claims, even where a drink clearly has, let's say, fruit juice in it, which is quite sweet on its own? So uh, if, you're, if you're getting a kind of no added or no artificial added claims, then um, yeah, that, that's, that it's, it's a, a weird little quirk of EU regulations, if I, if I remember it rightly, you can't talk about no artificial sweeteners because no that's all right okay no forget absolutely that. delete that that's wrong it's artificial okay. colors i'm thinking of there's no such thing as an artificial color there are only colors of natural <laughs> colors um so fruit juices are, are a great source of sweetness and they could be used uh, alongside artificial sweeteners to, to make a no added right, sugar okay. claim, as opposed to a sugar-free gotcha. claim yeah. so You'll see, you'll see sugar-free, or you'll see no added sugar, and then somewhere on the label will be contains naturally occurring sugars, um, and that that that's very common to to kind of to, to, to help along. You get a much better tasting product if you've got some fruit juice um, to to help along. Uh, yeah, particularly if you're not yeah. adding. Yeah, I, I have I have sort of been caught out by that 
many times where I've got, oh, no added sugar. This sounds terribly healthy. And then I look at the usually the empty bottles label after drinking the whole lot and suddenly realize, oh, God, I've had a Mars bar and didn't really realize. Yes. Yeah. But it's, but it's fruit it's sugar, so it's healthier. healthier. And, and there's I, probably some fiber in there somewhere, maybe hopefully as well. We're just going to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> sure, but but it, 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 it tastes it, good. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is too recent. I don't know if it's something you can talk about. But what about the sort of health scares that come out about some of these, you know, artificial sh sweeteners, you know, over time? I mean, aspartame has obviously been the the one in the headlines in recent years. Um, mm -hmm. Despite the the risk being essentially, when you look into what I think it was the World Health Organization actually said. They rated it very, 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 very slightly toxic in the same way that many things in the environment are. But it, it was headline news around the world. Is that something that, you know, prompts panic among manufacturers and, and rethinks and, and, you know, changes to formulas? Maybe not panic, certainly mm -hmm. contingency plans that people will be will be saying, OK, well, what if this ingredient in, in the same way that, that businesses will, will manage risk across across the board, um, I, I think one um, tabloid news headline away from a particular problem, uh, kind of uh, at any time, uh, and that can be, you know, uh, and that could be sugar, or it could be artificial sweeteners, and uh, or it could be colours, or or whatever. That what a um, you know, what a tabloid newspaper chooses to go after, and and whether or not there's enough, you know, that they'll take people with them, it can be a worry. Uh, the, the fact that artificial sweeteners have given you cancer is something that everyone has known since the 1950s, despite it, it being not very true. <laughs> I believe the kind of the, the, the source of it, uh, and I heard this on a, a science podcast many moons ago, so uh, I, I haven't been able to, to, to prove, to, to, to find a kind of source of this, uh, is that there was some work done with saccharin in rats, because uh, saccharin was being used uh, in, uh, in the 1950s in America a lot, and there were some concerns around, you know, was this well understood? And giving it to rats caused the rats to get cancer, uh, and this this was then published as a kind of a, as, a, as a panic. Some further work was done, and it turns out that the the metabolic pathways by which saccharin gave rats cancer was not something that was replicated in humans. So a, a lot of the time, rodents and particularly rats can be really good models for human beings, and we can get really important information from that. But in this case, it, it was a red herring, um, and. But that seems to have somehow got into the zeitgeist, and so everybody knows it in the same way that everybody knows that E numbers are judgmental, <laughs> um, despite E numbers being a list of safe ingredients that can be added to to beverages and other food uh, other food products uh, safely, including vitamin C, which which has an E number and so on. But but everybody knows it, and and so th these are kind of because soft drinks manufacturers, like other food manufacturers, don't get to sit everybody down and explain everything. You you have to sort of you you have to go with with how people feel. As I say, which is partly why sucralose has become so popular because it's got such a lovely name. It does, yeah. And why front of pack claims and so on um, really help. Businesses will be will be making contingency plans. The range of sweeteners on offer uh, allow you to to have a bit of a buffer. Studies continue. Uh, EFSA is it uh, is currently in a process of reviewing um, as. Kind of on, a, on a longer scale, it is in fact in the process of reviewing everything right. all the time. That's, that's sort of what it's there for. The European Food Standards Agency continues to express scientific opinions that are eventually turned into policy about, around, in particular, uh, recommended consumption limits for, for everything based on people consuming enormous amounts of whatever the product is in order to keep us safe, uh, which broadly is a good thing, but can kind of the stuff around artificial sweeteners at the minute is a great thing if you work for a company that sells something like Stevia, which is not counted, although you need to explain that it's sweetened from a natural source and not one of these artificial sweeteners, uh, and, and almost always not included in the studies. So even ones that are, that are kind of blanking have to explain. Um, yeah, but Esther is in the process of reviewing both a sulfane K and aspartame and, and i believe sucralose as well so that they, that always makes me feel safer than it makes me feel worried uh, because when they really find a problem they they there's there's been uh, limits and restrictions long before that happens yeah, before they find that there's a real risk rather than waiting to, to find out oh no this is killing us all we can stop now so that there tends to be enough time to, to implement changes to, to help yeah. keep everybody safe. So, so where do you think the industry is is going? I mean, you know, what are the challenges coming up? I mean, if this, let's say, if the five bricks, I'm going to use it, if the five bricks law went down to three or something, you know, is this is this something that that you think is probably in contingency planning already, or is this something that would cause heart attacks across the across the industry well it, it, it sort of is already happening in that there are um, nutritional guidelines 
currently in Europe, uh, Nutri-Score, that is, is being adopted by a number of countries in Europe and, and may well be in the UK, although you never know what the UK is going to do now because we, we make our own decisions now. Um, and so I, I, I'm not entirely sure everybody knows how they make those decisions yet. Um, so we, we don't know, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's likely that we will align. Uh, that is a system that scores foods based on their nutritional content and is then declared on the front of pack. And everybody will want to have the best score available and that will drive down sugar. Uh, so the five gram, you will see lots of products have crept below that in order to hit what was now an old version of Nutri-Score. That will probably drive things further down. The other, uh, that hand in hand with that, is that sugar is expensive and sweeteners are cheaper. And so that will also encourage people to reduce as far as, uh, as people will. will drive reduction for manufacturers in order to continue to take cost out. But obviously there is always a sacrifice of taste and there is always an expectation that the product that you tasted a week ago will taste the same and will taste the same in a month's time. And that transition, doing any kind of reduction while maintaining that, that taste experience for the consumer, because at the point where you go, well, I don't like that anymore, you just stop buying it. You, you can't, it's very difficult mm -hmm. to win you back. So in particular for larger brands, even when they're doing reduction, it will often be done in steps to kind of to take people along the ride or with messaging to explain why or something. Big example of that becoming very controversial was uh, in Scotland around iron brew. Scotland is very passionate about its iron brew. And so when the sugar tax came in, there was a great deal of upset, some of which has not gone away. Uh, if you look at the, the social media posts of iron brew, you will see there, there are still some people who are cross about that, but lots of work was done but by the company manufacturing that to make sure that it can taste as close as possible to kind of to, to take yeah. people with them. Well, it's uh, it's it's going to be a brave new world, I think. Has the profile of the people that the soft drinks manufacturers are sort of manufacturing for changed? You know, is there more talk now about sort of you know the kind of stuff we're we're covering on this program about adults growing up feeling soft drinks than maybe there would have been 10, 15 years ago? Do you think? Certainly, over the last decade, that the so-called adult soft drink has definitely been something that people believe there's a market for. I don't think anyone has cracked it, um, I, 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 which I guess is part of what this podcast is about, is, is that they're out there. I think, I think increasingly less sweet, less intense profile products are out there uh, and, and on the shelves in a way that kind of yeah, mainstream carbonate tends to, that, that you were sort of, that was what you had and, and you kind of had to get on with it. Innovation has always driven the market in a way, I guess it has across all sorts of the food industry. So new things are always coming out. The ones that work, people emulate. Uh, you get uh, innovators, fast followers and so on uh, in, in the same across any market. So I think, I think that that's growing and, and all sorts of kind of weird extra sectors appear. Uh, the seltzer market is one that I think some people have cracked and some people haven't uh, going hand in hand with the hard seltzer market, which I think is in the UK, we're very much lagging behind the US, but that's, that's something that people are, tr are trying to do. You, you see those products. Seltzers don't appeal to me at all, uh, but I like, I like sweet and I like high impact. I have a very kind of uh, it's quite, quite childish <laughs> taste in that I like. I like it sweet and I like it oomphy um, in a way that a, a more mature consumer's bitter becomes more important, um, is, which is something basically I, I don't, uh, which is why I don't like sparkling water, uh, which uh, if I, in honour of your podcast, I'm currently drinking a, a, a cordial with, made with, with sparkling water and no. it's, not, it's, not, it's made with still water, I'm afraid. <laughs> As I say, that that I'm sure is my problem. And no, I I, I have some of the same. I have the, some of the same taste buds. I think, but um, I appreciate you making the effort. That's that's very well done. I'm having I'm having a mint tea as we speak. But we do try to ask everybody when they come on this podcast. Uh, do you have a sort of hall of fame soft drink? What is your favourite? What is your um, absolute? You know, you're in a fancy restaurant. They've got everything. What are you going to order? What's your go-to? Particularly given my experience with exotic juices, I really like Ooh, mango yeah. juice or, or any mango-containing products. I really like lychee. Some people find it very floral. I, I really, really like it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with it. Those are good. I see you You really are into your exotic juices. You weren't kidding. <laughs> I am, oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, not, not so keen on guanabana, uh, which is a, a, a product I used to have to taste, but um, never really got on with so maybe not that sophisticated but yeah um, mango and lychee I can excellent all right well richard thank you so much for joining us and um yeah best of luck with your bricks <laughs> thank you very much 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Helen, is it possible to be in love with somebody who works with sugar? Because I, I think, kind of think I am with Richard. I think that's reasonable. He's a lovely, lovely man. And thank him. Uh, thank you so much, Richard, for getting in touch. We really appreciate it. And it's also, I think, something that's really helpful to hear how these decisions get made, why they get made, and what goes into what we drink, literally and figuratively. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And if any of you have helpful jobs to this podcast... I mean, you don't even have have like a crazy, sexy job title. It would be really lovely to hear from you because, again, we don't know what we don't know. And when you guys reach out to us, it is just the most brilliant and fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, popculturedrinkspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter or we're on Instagram, popculturedrinkspodcast. That's it. So we have some people who have done just that this week. <gasps> what an excellent and obedient and just generally sexy and successful and fabulous listenership we have, Helen. It's true. It's true. I can't deny it. So um, our first message comes from the incredibly well-named Cat Bird. Mm. I mean, already in love, 100%, no notes. So uh, she got in touch from, I think, the US to say, Starbucks, it seems, is stepping into the alt-alcoholic space. What a great name for it. Uh, Below is an email ad for their new coffee mocktail. And then she quotes from them, introducing the Starbucks Reserve Orange Spice Espresso Martini. This delicious non-alcoholic cocktail is crafted with Starbucks Reserve Espresso spiritless Kentucky 74 spiced, vanilla bean syrup, and orange bitters. Available exclusively at US Starbucks Reserve roasteries and stores. Now, I don't know if we even have those in this country, I'm afraid, but that sounds like an interesting combination of ingredients. It really does. The US Starbucks have been really interesting in terms of their limited edition drinks. I was absolutely furious a few years ago when I was in the States and they were doing these Pokemon-based specials at certain Pokestops. This was obviously when I was still playing Pokemon Go obsessively. But the one where I was staying in Vegas had never heard of this drink. And I was like, but it's on the Pokestop. And they looked at me weirdly and I just had to leave immediately. (laughs) I love the idea of having this sort of non-alc, more excitement not more exciting coffee is very exciting in itself Mm. but a creation that sort of takes something else on board because the texture of something like an espresso martini is so different to a beloved frappuccino or Mm. another sort of sugary seasonal drink it's silkier darker to be more obvious about it but it is just a sort of different feeling because of the opening hours as well starbucks certainly in the uk have become like destinations in themselves for anybody that doesn't drink or, or, you know, doesn't want to go to an ice cream bar as well as students or authors panicking and (laughs) finishing off things that they can only do when they are bribed with coffee and cake. So, yeah, having those options would be great. I mean, in the UK, it does feel like something that potentially would not take off and partly perhaps would be too much of a faff Mm. for the staff to do. But I just love the fact that that is an option. Yeah. It's exciting. And I think it's really encouraging that, you know, again, this is entering the conversation. People are having these discussions and and a big brand like Starbucks is getting behind them as well. So, yeah, I don't know if we can recreate that particular one. We might try at some point, but um, it sounds like an intriguing mix. And this reminds me, actually, Ian Douglas tweeted in recently to say, had we heard of Raven Records Bar in Camden? Yes, we still have to go there. It's the world's first heavy metal alcohol free bar in Camden. It's found at the back of a new coffee shop and vinyl emporium, Raven Records. Just what a total dream. Yeah. Also, just because like there are lots and lots of musicians in recovery and so really nice to have a place where they can go without, you know, being worried about not necessarily being worried, but 
I suppose it's a bit boring to always have to think about what could have booze mm-hmm. in it. And so nice just to have one place that is just like, no, just rock out. Don't worry about anything else. Absolutely. And I have to say, so uh, my Empire podcast, which is another podcast that I do, we are going on tour in March. The uh, I'll be honest, it's not all on sale yet because we're very, very last minute about everything. But... We are going to a couple of the towns that have non-alcoholic bars. So I will be doing a little call in if I can possibly manage it and uh, and trying to test out some exciting drinks. Oh, that'd be so exciting. Take your iPhone up and hit voice notes. Exactly. Just be like, tell me about your bar. Please talk to me. Yes. How exciting. Oh, I'm so pleased about that. That'll be really lovely. On last week's episode, we also very heavily hinted at us doing something so exciting that you would all hate us. And obviously the schadenfreude of that is it got cancelled. <laughs> but we look forward to bringing you actual things that really make you hate us with envy in the hopefully not too distant future. Amen to that. So this is a bit longer, but it's a very interesting topic. And I do want to speak about this. So this comes from Ben Standring, who writes, long time listener, first time emailer. Love that. Aww. One month in. I love the podcast and thank you for all the great recommendations of drinks to try. I've been sober for five years and stopped drinking when at university. Now, this means Ben is disgustingly young and probably handsome. But But it does mean that I can lower the age limit on our adverts, Helen. Fantastic. So one thing that always makes me sigh, he says, is related to alcohol in food, notably in supermarket food and in meals out. Why do you think that supermarkets and restaurants are being more inclusive to non-drinkers by improving their alcohol-free drinks options, but a lot of their food will still contain alcohol? This is more frustrating as I fall into another category of people, the vegetarians. Mm -hmm. Side note, January is always fun when dry January and veganuary come around and that's just another month and a lot of vegetarian premium food in supermarkets is premium because it usually contains alcohol red wine or white wine in tomato or cream-based sauces or brandy or port or rum in desserts christmas is notorious as a period when all premium products essentially just add lots of alcohol and boost the prices Equally, going out for a meal with family or friends, most menus offer a small number of vegetarian options and you always know there'll be a lack of variety and many places will try and add alcohol into dishes either to make up for the lack of meat or to add in a quote-unquote premium element to justify a higher meal price. How do you think is best to solve this? That's all the best from Ben slash someone who would like high-quality mince pies slash Christmas cake slash great vegetarian dishes without the alcohol content. And he says, cooking off the alcohol does not cook off all the alcohol. And final extra side note, just came back from my neighbour Totoro at the barbecue and it was a delight. Good lad, correct. We agree, yes. So, I mean, this is not something I had clocked, actually, and I'm ashamed of myself for not particularly noticing. You know, as I say, I usually don't pay a lot of attention to alcohol in food just because it tends generally not to be strong enough that I notice it. I do notice it in my granny's trifle. I really did. I really am starting to think of your granny as Nanny Og of the trifle world. Um, she was, she, I mean, she very much wasn't. She was very much more of a granny weatherwax, <laughs> except in regards to her trifle. But that was heavily, heavily sherried. So, you know, I, I would, I, like, I would obviously eat it because I loved my granny and everything else in the trifle was delicious. Mm-hmm. But I will. it was honestly not my favourite dessert and I did tend to default to any of the other desserts that were around because as a family, we, we don't do one dessert meals. No, no. If we're getting together for a family gathering, there are at least three on the table and a gigantic bowl of whipped cream. So that was never a problem. But if you are already limited to a, a, a very small number of dishes on a menu and then there is alcohol in them, that I can see being a real issue. That's really annoying. It's intersections around things are where everything just sort of trips up slightly it's as you say when you when you're vegetarian okay that's one thing but then when you're vegetarian and actively looking not to have alcohol in your food then that's another i'm sober but i've never got drunk off food so i sort of have that work around i think it's mostly so that i can still have tiramisu helen if i'm honest sure but at the same time i would not order something where i don't know you got like a shot of amaretto and had that on ice cream yes yes one actually one way as regards the mince pies that is super useful is particularly around anything seasonal is to literally just follow the halal food bloggers because there there is such obviously an overlap between 
not being able to have alcohol and food and not wanting to have alcohol and food. And so lots of the bloggers do really, really helpful roundups, particularly around Christmas food, other festive foods and everything. Because you're right, a surprising number of the supermarket mince pies contain cognac or and again, it is just so that they can charge that bit extra by having that oomphy, slightly fiery taste to the mincemeat. There are always non-alcoholic ones. It's just that bit more of a faff to find them. Sainsbury's had some this year, but they weren't like classic mince pies. They were one of the, oh, we've messed with the mince pie format it was Ugh. apparently too boring. No. The other way of doing it is to go via the Indies. There are loads of beautiful bakeries online that specifically do alcohol-free Christmas cake, mince pies, and all of the other sort of festive goodies, which are so nice. And I mean, that extends to other times of year as well. It is just that bit more of a faff than mm. you want. Unfortunately, this is something that we see in all kinds of other areas. I mean, I'm a very, very tall woman, and so shopping is already a bit tedious. But on one of the tall forums that I'm on, you get lots of plus size people going, there is nothing for me because if I find anything tall, then it tops out at an 18 or a 20. Yeah. The only real answer is that unfortunately, we are still in a stage where we do have to pass around this information and be like, oh, this is amazing. This restaurant here has loads of fantastic veggie options. Plus also there's no booze on it. I mean, in London, certainly restaurants have become much better about putting menus online, largely because it's another form of advertising for them. But also, I think vegetarian food has just become so much more interesting mm. in the last certainly 10 years that if the people that you are going to restaurants with are meat eaters, then if you can persuade them at all to go to a veggie restaurant or try something else, that it's that E for experience thing. And then mm. Once they give it a go, they'll think that they invented vegetarian food and are super <laughs> clever about it. But big commiserations yeah. is a it's a faff and an effort that we don't want to have. Absolutely. I do think it's also worth writing to the offending supermarkets, etc. Because it, I'm not saying it's going to work overnight, but the more people that feed back on this stuff, at some point it's got to reach a sort of critical mass. I think that's what's happened with you know vegan food five, mm. certainly 10 years ago. Vegan food was nowhere near as readily available as it is now. Gluten-free, the same thing. And so there is the potential for change. It just hasn't happened yet. I totally agree in this area. There's, there's a way to go. Yeah, and a tip on writing those letters as well. It's very tempting to send an email, but a letter, a handwritten letter to the CEO is much more difficult to ignore than an email from 250 people all saying the mm. same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Just thinking when you're talking about sort of intersectional eating problems we have a friend who is uh is gluten intolerant and dairy intolerant and kosher and it is extremely difficult for her to find meals anywhere really <laughs> when she does she embraces them close to her chest and um goes regularly to that place so i mean there is a real business case for it people will absolutely be loyal and afford those options you just have to give them yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, as we see in the uh, tall clothing community, the numbers just are not there mm. necessarily. But then it, it goes around the other way as well. We've seen that Pret has had to close a load of their veggie veggie Prets because the numbers aren't there. I mean, also just Pret seems to be going through a mad phase mm. of pricing everything completely insanely. Um, so interesting to see what happens there. But really wishing you some some good eating. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I think that's pretty much all we have time for this week. So yes, like we say, there might be something just outrageous and infuriating happening next week. We shall see how it goes. But otherwise, that is all for this week. So if you have a, a favourite drink, a menu that you'd like to celebrate or shame, any burning questions or, or comments about soft drinks in general or particular, then you can email us at popculturedrinkspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at popculturedrinkspodcast. And we also have a lovely bookshop storefront where you can shop for our favourite non-alcoholic books, including those by us, which may or may not be related to alcohol, and those by our guests. So if you go to bookshop.org and search for Pop Culture, the soft drinks podcast, that will pop right up. Oh, nice, Helen. <laughs> and that is it for this episode. Do consider subscribing or leaving us a lovely five-star review on your podcast provider of choice. Um, I'm sure you're probably busy by now reading Kat's book, but if you're not, it's not a bloody trend, is now out everywhere. 
there's an audiobook as well if you literally just want me in your ears more. <laughs> which your brother bought, which is the most sweet thing I've so ever heard. Lovely. I don't think my brother bought my audiobook, so. <laughs> it was the fact he was like, I can't believe I've paid to listen to my sister talk for eight hours. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. In any case, we will see you back here next week for more soft drinks related chat. Thank you, Kat. Keep drinking, Helen. <laughs> Keep, Keep it. drinking. Keep drinking. Keep drinking. <laughs> Clink. Clink. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.